Fabulous. Thank you, guys. You can uh, take your seats and you can also take yours. And don't worry, I know that it's a bit off-putting when the preacher sits at the same time you do. You sort of think, perhaps we're in for a marathon this morning. <laughs> if he has to sit down at the same time we are, we could be in for... Well, I make no promises. 23 years ago, when Vicky and I first pastored this church, I remember that a short sermon used to be 45 minutes long, and that preaching for an hour was uh, commonplace. Um, now I wonder how on earth I managed to find enough material <laughs> to preach for an hour. Um, so thankfully, uh, I don't think I do have an hour, I don't have a watch on the moment it's a it's an old-fashioned thing to carry around I know but I use it to tell the time but the battery ran out um, so do we have a clock anywhere what's the time it's 10 past 11 oh heaps of time okay now we're doing a, a, a series this year in which we ask basic questions about our faith uh, the why of what we do and uh, this morning I want to talk about the idea of what Jesus intended the church to be. Uh, and the Greek word for what we call the church is ecclesia. Now, thankfully, we opted for a cheaper, uh, cheaper, a simpler word, church, in our own language. But the root meaning of this Greek word ecclesia is to call out. And so the church is actually the called out one. And so for those of us who are part of the church, we, we've, we've been called out. By God, But the, the question I want to ask this morning is why? Why was it important for God to call us out? What has he called us out from? What has he called us out for? And over the next couple of weeks, I want to answer that question in terms of who we are as a church community. And next week in particular, how that impacts the community outside our church. And so, you know, there, there are two basic schools of thought when it comes to this idea of to the fact that we've been called out. And although they're not mutually exclusive, they actually cause quite a bit of tension, not only with our relationship with the outside community, but also within the church. And so, because the first thing that the Bible tells us we're called out for is we're called out to be different to everyone else. And that's supported by scriptures such as Romans 12.2, which tells us don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then in 1 Peter 2.11, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. A distinct implication there that we're not actually of this earth, that we're actually visiting. We're temporary residents. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Hey, stay away from those worldly people because they're going to corrupt you. Because we're called to be different to everybody else. But then again, we're also caused and called out to make a difference to everybody else. And this is epitomized by Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.19 where he says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. 
When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. And yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing, or in its blessing. And so the tension between these two ideas of being different and yet still being able to make a difference is the balancing act of what Christians often term being in the world but not of the world. And uh, I actually tried to look up that scripture. And uh, if you can find it, good luck. Um, but it's one of those things that we've taken on board as, as, as something that people say, yeah, we're called to be of the world, in the world, but not of the world. But there isn't actually a scripture that says exactly that. Um, at least I couldn't find one. Um, if you do find one, don't tell me now, tell me afterwards. Um, but I believe that this tension is actually a powerful key to effectively spreading the gospel message. But unfortunately, it's also become a point of contention which has divided the church more than it's united it. This is because we often subconsciously divide the church as a whole into two camps. There are those people who are getting this balance between being different and making a difference right, and there are those other people who are all failing miserably. And we spend a lot more time refuting the efforts of that second camp than we do winning the lost. In fact, we find the embarrassing failure of those other Christians a major roadblock to talking about Jesus or even inviting people to church because there might be some of those people in our church. And so we, we have this view of people getting it right, which often I think is, is birthed into you know, even how, how we come to Christ. Um, and I've, I've assembled a list here, and please forgive me because this is my own personal biases, of course, and I hope I don't operate out of these, but you know, I, I came into the church um, f from a, a background of um, scientific rationalism, which seems an odd place to start, um, but w when I look at my first impression of church, uh, the, the people who are getting it right like to sing choruses rather than hymns. Um, they are actually active in reading a whole variety of Bible translations to get a holistic view of the Word of God. They pray in tongues. They're spiritual, but not OTT. They appreciate excellence in written publications, presentation, graphics, etc., because that's where I come from. They dress like normal people. They support their local and their wider communities. They use everyday language when talking about their faith and they operate from a place of grace. Now the dismal failures in my book, and I love them, and this is not how I operate, but if I examine myself, people struck, stuck in traditional worship and church styles aren't my cup of tea. People who insist that the King James Version is the only true Bible version get short shrift. People who believe tongues were only for New Testament times 
Uh, people who are super spiritual or spiritually dead. People who put out rubbish flyers, outdated graphics, special pictures of Jesus with halos and a white beard and all the rest. People who dress like it's the 1980s. People who use religious language in everyday conversation. Amen. Praise God. Uh, and people with a legalistic mindset. Now the thing is that I hopefully don't operate out of these generalizations. But in thinking about those lists, they're obviously preferences that I have built up in my mind. And my only assumption, which I hope is not totally incorrect, is that all of us build up similar or possibly even different assumptions in our own minds. And I'd like to bet that some of my preferences are exactly opposite to some of yours. And so the interesting thing about all of this is that I've discovered in my 23 years as a pastor that Jesus apparently didn't get the memo concerning the colossal importance of our distinction between those doing it right and those doing it wrong. In fact, he doesn't seem to care much for this distinction at all. And I think this is what God meant in Isaiah 55.9 when he says, For just as though the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is a great time, I think, for us all to repent of some of those thoughts. Because as I've discovered, that as I read the Gospels, I find that Jesus had a habit of connecting with everyone. He connected with conservative theologians, liberal theologians, prostitutes, divorcees, children, politicians. Not too sure there's much difference there. It's, my, it's, it's coming out again, I'm sorry. People who party hard. People in military service, women, lepers, ethnic minorities, celebrities, you name it, Jesus associated with these people. He was pretty serious about connecting with all types of people in spite of natural and ideological differences. And it doesn't end in the Gospels because he continues to beckon us, even though we stand, still tend to cling to earthly distinctions like the ones that I've just laid my soul bare with. Please forgive me. Jesus is relentless. Rather than use his power to distance himself from us, Jesus uses it to approach us. He follows his own commandment to love your neighbour as yourself, often to his detriment, I might add, by pursuing us with great tenacity in spite of our differences. He has jumped a lot of hurdles to reach us so that we might represent him. He epitomises what you know, John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I think it's fascinating that he didn't say, your love for me will determine that you are my disciples. He says, your love for one another will show the world that you are my disciples. Now, how, how often can we honestly say that interactions between churches, even of the same denomination, never mind other denominations, show the love that we have for one another to the outside world. Something we need to, to look at. Uh, I mean, let's face it, we're not even always the best advertisement for Christianity, and yet Jesus doesn't distance himself from us when we stuff up. Praise God, amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of you are listening, good. <laughs> Now, I am not saying that differences in the body of Christ are trivial. 
I'm not suggesting that we forget about our real ideological differences or that we refrain from making strong statements concerning how we view faith in God and how we live practically out of our faith. But there's a great analogy that King Solomon used to describe a good friendship. Proverbs 21.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And I think it's fitting that he chose iron, which is a material known for being strong and solid to describe a good friend. According to Solomon, a good friendship, excuse me, a good friendship. It's just my continual urge to invent new words that, that causes these things. A good friend, friendship, nearly did it again, isn't a moral free-for-all in which any difference is accepted or glossed over. Rather, a good friendship involves a healthy tension in which the friends challenge and encourage each other to draw closer to the heart of God. Each friend uses their strength to help the other friend go stronger. Friends who share their different ideas about faith or life can help us avoid some of the nasty effects of the things that we we see in conflict. My church, your church. My tribe versus your tribe. My revelation versus your misinterpretation. And these things afflict afflict our Christian dialogue and polarise believers both in personal conversation and more and more these days through social media. Um, The idea of connection, I think, through social media has fallen by the wayside. And and social media, to a large part, has developed into a platform where we can polarise ourselves into, into different camps. I mean, even, even things, and, and I hope that aren't too many believers here in the flat earth theory, um, but something which was a fringe idea in the 1970s has suddenly come to the fore to, to, the, to the point where if you looked at social media, you would believe that at least 50% of the planet believe it's flat. And that you know, the sun is an electric oven that, that is heated by the... T- and it, there's all sorts of stuff out there that has gained a polarising effect because of the way that people are active on social media. And I believe that you know, we have to be careful that we, we are not polarising Christians. Um, you can be polarising about flat earth if you like because it's not. Um, <laughs> just saying. But principles and theology are important. They are a big part of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Yes, we do need to have candid conversations about racial injustice in the church and beyond, how we're interacting with our natural environment, how we're caring for the homeless, how we're protecting the unborn, how we're defining our sexuality, who we are voting for, and so on. These are important and necessary and valuable conversations. The trick is to wisely use our Christian friend's ideology, be it different or not, to humble us, to strengthen us, and to enhance our understanding of God and what role we have to play in his kingdom. And we should influence our friends the same way, like iron sharpens iron. This idea has to be true within the body of Christ before we can expect it to be effective in a secular environment. Cultural, Theological and practical differences in the body of Christ enable different types of people to draw near to the heart of Jesus. As part of his church, 
we have the opportunity to follow in his example of being all things to all people. Jesus did a fantastic job of knowing his audience and speaking directly to their hearts. Because, for example, Jesus talked sheep to shepherds. He talked fish to fishermen and bookish, bookish theology to bookish theologians. And I think that our differences enable us to speak richly and directly to the hearts of all types of people. And whether we feel that the church or the called out ones should focus more on being different than making a difference or vice versa, the challenge for us is to engage without being divided. It is our task as the body of Christ to be builders of bridges rather than diggers of moats. Remember that bridges join two different locations. They do not make two different locations the same thing. They are actually there as an avenue of communication. And we don't actually have to communicate with people, the only people that think the same way we do. We can actually have friendly, helpful, viable and useful dialogues with people who don't agree with us. And people, I think it's easy for people to meet God in their own cultural context. And in just a moment, I'm going to provide an opportunity for people to do just that. But as we journey with God, we have to expand our experience into other cultures because that's what Jesus did during his life on earth and through his death on the cross. And so I, I want to invite you, if you're online or, or you're here in person this morning, this idea of being called out or called apart is something that God does to the people he calls his church. And he does that by actually investing in a relationship with each and every one of us. And we actually are called and called out by responding to that desire for a relationship with God. And so I want to issue an invitation, if you like, on God's behalf to say He wants us to be called out. He wants us to be people who are called out in that tension of being different and making a difference. And so if you're online and you want to actually take a step wherever you are, whatever, whatever your perception of God is, whatever your perception of the culture of the church is, God says, I want to meet you right here, right now, where you are, you are at, whatever your cultural concept is. And I want to take an opportunity to meet with you. If you're online and that's you, there'll be a raise hand button in the chat, which will appear. And if you are prepared to take a step towards God, to say, okay, I'm going to take God up in his offer. I want God to call me out to be different, to have a relationship with him. I encourage you to press that button and a member of our team will actually speak with you privately and help you on that step to meet with God and then to start on a journey with Him. And if you're here today in person, we don't have a button for you to press. We actually have something better than that. You can actually have a dialogue with the real person to actually meet Jesus. I would love to do that with you. And I challenge you if you are here and you want to do that, if you've never met Jesus or you know you're not acting as one of his called out ones, then I'm going to be here when this service finishes. And I, and I, I want you to come up to me and say, 
Chris, I want to meet Jesus. Show me how. I would love to pray with you. But you're going to have to take that step. God, God isn't going to come and find you because he knows where you are. He actually wants you to come and find him because he wants you to take a step towards him as he takes a step towards you. So if, it's, if that is you this morning, can you do that for me? After the service, come and find me. Just say, Chris, I want to meet Jesus. And we'll do business together and make that happen. And so I want, I want to pray for us all this morning. But before I do that, because who knows, it's important, I think, for us to grasp some of the ideas that Jesus puts in front of it and cement it in prayer. I want, I want us to pray about being bridge builders this morning. Because at first glance, you know, it, would, it would appear that this idea of iron sharpening iron, when it comes to our, our definition of Christians who are getting it right and Christians who are hopeless, uh, that that applies to people possibly in other C3 churches or other movements or other denominations or even other orthodoxies of the Christian faith. But really it begins here. Now even with this, within this congregation there exists a variety of opinions and beliefs about some of the things that I've just mentioned. I have preached messages that people do not disagree with, do not agree with or disagree with. <laughs> Hopefully some people don't disagree. <laughs> But I, I've preached messages that people have come up and said, oh, I don't like what you said. Uh, there may be people even this morning who don't like this message. Um, I'm happy to talk about that. I've talked about tithing. And yet there are people in our congregation who don't tithe. I extol the importance of prayer meetings. But there are people who don't go. We have dinner parties on every fortnight. But not everybody is part of a dinner party. These are simple differences about how different people see their walk with God and God's people and my job. And in fact, the responsibility of every single one of us is not to force everybody to be involved in the same way, but to build bridges so that we can have the solid community where friends sharpen friends. Now, having said that, let me leave you with this one thought before I pray with you. Because often people don't get involved in church activities because A, they have no interest in it. Or B, they feel no need to participate. Or C, they don't get anything out of it. How dare you? Some people find it uncomfortable, boring or embarrassing to become involved in some of these activities. And some people it just doesn't fit their lifestyle. And that is fine. That is a personal choice. And we respect those personal choices. But consider this. What if there's somebody else out there whose life might be changed by your involvement? Someone who might be inspired, encouraged, comforted, befriended or changed forever by your presence at something that wasn't necessarily your cup of tea. That's how we can be different and make a difference, allowing iron, to sharpen iron inside our own church community. Would changing somebody else's life make it worth your while? Think on it. Let me pray for you. Mighty God, I just pray that today everybody under the sound of my voice has grasped an idea, a concept, a principle 
which has sunk into their hearts. Lord, I pray that the spirit of bridge building flows into us as we hear your word. That those things that separate us become insignificant. And those things that connect us come to the fore. I pray right now that we are a community of bridge builders within these walls and without. I pray that you give us the resources, the means and the desire to be friends that sharpen friends, to be people that build bridges, not moats, and to bring your love and your gospel into the lives of our families, our friends and other believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, I want to talk about how we can take that iron sharpening iron friendship, how we can take that being different and making a difference into the outside world. Because that's, that's the main part of our calling. But I, I believe that it's important to actually start within because, you know, that, that directive that we have that the world knows that we love Jesus by our love for one another has to come first before we can be effective evangelists, missionaries, whatever it is out in our community. So next week, I'm going to talk to you about that. Thanks for coming.